name is Alyssa. I am part of the pastoral team here at North Place. You might have seen me back in kids' church or maybe on Friday nights with the youth group or on Sunday evenings at one of our discipleship courses. But today I am doing something that I have never done before. I am preaching for the very first time on a Sunday morning. I'm super excited to be here with you guys. I'm super thankful, too, to Pastor Randy for this opportunity and to my North Place team for your guys' amazing support over the past couple weeks. I am the rookie of the team, right, since I've never done something like this before. You might call it a rookie Sunday, but let me tell you why rookie Sunday is a great thing. Has anyone ever believed in you? Yeah? Oh, that's great. I'm so glad. (laughs) Has anyone ever seen you at your worst and pushed you to be your best? Has anyone ever sat down next to you on the roller coaster of life and buckled in and said, I am committed to doing this with you? Because that is what Rookie Sunday means. God wants you on his team even if you're a rookie like me, okay? Um, If this is your first time to North Place, you've come to a church that wants to walk it out with you, that wants to buckle into that roller coaster with you, that's committed to seeing you grow on your journey. And if you've been at North Place for a little while, you probably know that about us, right? We want you to get involved. We want you to serve on a team. We want you to even get a little bit uncomfortable, right? Because growth does not happen in our comfort zones. So that is what Rookie Sunday represents, guys. The opportunity to grow, the chance to try, because when we walk with God, he gives us the confidence to step out in faith and just try our best. And when we fail, which is inevitable because we're humans, that's the trademark of humanity, is failure, right? When we fail, God is the one who gives us the grace to stand back up, keep trying, and keep doing our best again. So God wants you on his team, even if you're a rookie like me. Today, I want to talk about God's commitment to partnering with us, to being our teammates. God designed us for partnership. He created us with purpose and authority. He is committed to working with us and in us, and through us, even when the road gets rough. And he partners with us through our prayers. We've all looked for partners, right? Maybe you're looking for a romantic partner, a husband or wife, someone to spend your life with, raise a family with. Maybe you're looking for a business partner, someone who will invest in your dreams and make them a reality, someone who's trustworthy who won't set you up for failure or leave you out to dry. Maybe you're in school and you're looking for a partner on your group project. You want someone who's intelligent and responsible, right? Let me ask you this. If Jesus had a school project or if he needed a business partner, who do you think he would want as his teammates? Besides God and the Holy Spirit, they're already on the same team. Jesus does have a team. He did choose a partner that he wanted to work with, and it was us. If you are taking notes today, our first point is that God designed us with partnership in mind. 
Humans were created to work together with God. We aren't God's second choice or the last one that he would pick if he was team captain in a schoolyard. God designs each of us for partnership. Back in Genesis, we see God first partner with humans right when he created them. Genesis 1:28 says this. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Here we see some details about our purpose, the role that God gave to humans as his partners. There's some action words here that might be a little intimidating. Subdue, rule over. But in the original language, they mean something a little more in the sense of manage, steward, guard, and protect. So if the world was like a business, God was like the owner, but he gave us the role of manager. This is your title, manager of the world. Have you ever been given a task that's a little bit out of your league, a little too much for you? It happens to me sometimes in kids' church or at youth, maybe we're playing a game, and I look around and think, oh, we really need some adult supervision here. And then I realize <laughs> I, am the, I am the adult supervision. Maybe you're at work and your boss is like, hey, give me a rundown on all those clients. And you're like, yes, right away, definitely. But also, what is a rundown? What does that mean? <laughs> uh, if I was Adam and Eve and God just gave me that command, rule over the world, I would be like, whoa, what, God, <laughs> didn't you just create me like five seconds ago? Wouldn't you feel better if I just managed this tree or this rock? <laughs> I would be freaking out. But Adam and Eve did not freak out. They didn't stress because they had what they needed. They were created with the key ingredients. Listen to this right before God created us, his plan and design for us in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. My favorite phrase in this passage is probably the phrase, so that. I love when I read so that because to me it indicates a cause and effect relationship, a reason behind something, okay? So it's got two sides, the, the cause side and the effect side. On the first side of so that, we see God creating mankind in his image and his likeness. And on the other side of so that, we see that we were made to rule, so it's God's image and likeness in us that gives us the authority that we need to rule. Adam and Eve didn't freak out at their huge task. They were suited to it because they were working with the creator in his authority, bearing his image. The words here that are used for image and likeness in the original language, they give the idea of resemblance or a shadow Almost like the earth has to do a double take and says like, oh, is that Adam? For a second, I thought it was God. We were created in the image of God. We were created to resemble him. 
because our job is to be his representatives here. That authority that he gave us was real. And this is important. Listen to this. So complete and final was Adam's authority over the earth that he, not just God, had the ability to give it away to another. I read this quote in a book Pastor Randy recommended to me. Actually, the book we're basing our next discipleship course on, it's called Intercessory Prayer by Dutch Sheets, and it it's definitely something that you want to chew on. It took me a while to get through this. There's a lot of heavy stuff in here, but this, this quote just stood out to me. So complete and final was Adam's authority over the earth that he, not just God, had the ability to give it away to another. And he did. You don't have to read much further in the Bible to see humanity in our trademark of failure, sinning against God, disobeying playing right into the enemy's hands. Our authority was given away. And if you're thinking, no, the devil's authority isn't real, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news this morning. This is what the Bible says in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus is being tempted by the enemy. It says, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Did you hear that phrase? It has been given to me. It was over. It was done. Even Jesus in the book of John, he calls the devil the prince of this world three times. The authority God gave to humans was real, and the way we lost it was real. So what was God supposed to do? He was still the business owner, but his trusted managers had run the company into the grounds. We were supposed to be his teammates. We were supposed to be his partners, and we just gave away that big title he gave us. We gave it away like it was nothing. We were terrible partners. God could have quit on us. He could have started a new planet, created a new creation that was probably better than us. He had every right to do that. But catch this. This is another quote from this book, Intercessory Prayer. So complete and final was God's decision to do things on the earth through human beings that it cost God the incarnation to regain what Adam gave away. Creator God, the king of the universe, the sovereign Lord, he could have handled it any other way. But when he decided to work with us, he committed. He loved us enough to pay that price. He said, humanity is my chosen vessel, my beloved vessel. So humanity is how I'm going to handle this. I will become human. I will put on flesh. I will put myself inside time and space, be conceived in a virgin, be born a tiny baby, grow into a man, live a sinless life, die the worst human death 
on the cross and buy back the authority that was lost. John chapter 1 says it like this. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a husband's decision, a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. He paid that price for us, for you. The second point today is this. God is committed to working with humans. 100% committed. God is not a partner who walks out on us. God is not a partner who gives up on us, who says, no, this is too difficult, you're too much, block you on WhatsApp, nothing else. God is not that kind of partner. It happens, right? Not with God. Even when we deserve it, we could be the worst of the worst, and God still wants to be our teammate. He still wants to live inside of our hearts. He still wants to grow us and transform us. He is committed to this team. He's committed to partnering with us. God designed us with the purpose of partnership by giving us his image and his authority. And he is committed to working with us and in us and through us, even when the road gets rough. So what does it mean to be God's teammates? What sport are we even playing? What does partnership with God look like? Partnering with God means living in relationship with him. It means living in relationship with each other, his family. It means representing God on the earth. It means ushering in his kingdom. And it means that we pray. Prayer is a pillar of our Christian life. Prayer is when we talk to God. And prayer is part of our daily 20 at North Place, we talk about our daily devotional time as a daily 20, meaning 20 minutes a day with God, spending five minutes in worship, five minutes reading our Bibles, five minutes in prayer, and five minutes waiting and listening to what God will speak to us. And I have to be honest with you guys, in my life, prayer has probably been one of the most difficult parts of daily 20. With worship, I can turn on a song, I can sing, I can focus my attention on God and just admire him. With 
the Bible time, I can sit down with my Bible, I can read it, I can appreciate the words and, and let it just soak into me. Even with listening, I'm pretty good at just sitting still, listening, being quiet, and hearing when God is bringing something to my attention or putting something on my heart. With prayer, it's hard to know if I'm doing it right. If I memorize the Lord's Prayer, anybody else have to do that? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Matthew 6. If I memorize that, is that enough for my prayer life? If I decide to go and pray my own prayers, I might overthink it. I might think, oh, did that prayer sound ungrateful? Did I just start asking for things? Sorry, God, thank you also for all of this and this. And, oh, did I pray for the right thing? Is what I'm praying for even God's will? Did I pray long enough for this person? I don't know that many words. How do I keep going? <laughs> um, sometimes when I pray, I'm praying for something that's really important to me, really meaningful. And I start crying. Is that good? Is that bad? Does it matter? Does it make a difference? Does anything that I do make my prayers stronger or weaker? Do my prayers themselves even make a difference? If I'm not sure that my prayers even matter, it's really hard to take prayer seriously. Thankfully, God can handle our questions and our doubts. Thankfully, God doesn't leave us in the same state where he found us. Remember, he is committed to growing us and transforming us as we walk with him. And God has been growing and transforming me in the way that I view prayer, the way I approach prayer and approach God through prayer. And the book that I mentioned before, Intercessory Prayer by Dutch Sheets, it really has been super helpful in that process. I still have plenty to learn, but I've come a long way too. I believe that our prayers do matter. They do make a difference. And I believe that it's because God is committed to partnering with us that they do. I believe that he is looking for a prayer vessel, looking for a prayer warrior to work through. He's looking for a teammate. Our third point today is this. God is looking for someone to pray for his will to be done. I played a lot of soccer when I was growing up. I would go every week to practice with my team and my coach, and we had a great coach, and we had a good team. But like many teams, we had one or two players that were really strong players. They stood out from the rest of us, and if it was up to them, our entire team's strategy would just be to get them the ball, right? Just wherever the rest of us were, we just find that player on the field, send the ball to them, and then they'll take care of the rest. <laughs> um, one drill, though, that our coach had us practice often was that half the team would scrimmage against the other half of the team. And before anyone was allowed to even take a shot on the goal, we had to pass it in between ourselves 10 times. So even if we get to a point where our strong player is at the goal, they're in range to take the shot, but we've only passed it like four times, 
we have to find a way to maintain possession of the ball, make the other six passes, and then we're allowed to try and take a shot on the goal. And what this drill did was it improved our awareness of each other, it encouraged our communication, hey, I'm open, hey, me too, and it discouraged anyone from hogging the ball, right? But we are playing on God's team. And so God is definitely our strongest player. If we just send our prayers to God, will he do the rest? If we pass him the ball, can we just go take a seat on the bench because, hey, our work is done? I don't think so. I don't think that that's how God plays the game. Because God is committed to working through humans. He is committed to partnering with us, to including us. And that means that God wants to pass us the ball. Remember, he is looking for a prayer vessel. He is looking for someone to pray for his will to be done. One man in the Bible who is commended for his prayer life is Elijah. He was seeing some huge miracles because of his prayers. He raised a little boy from the dead. He gave the mom a never-ending supply of food. And then he called down fire from heaven and defeated 400 bad guys. This is an MVP for sure. He is playing on God's team. All these stories, you can read them in your daily 20. They're found in 1 Kings 17 and 18. Just two chapters filled with these crazy stories. Uh, they're pretty wild. But today... We're going to be in those chapters, but we're going to focus on an overarching story that's happening in the background, because that story will give us some insight on prayer. It's not as flashy as the other stories, but prayer is not very flashy. Prayer is humble. Prayer is knowing that God is God and we are not. Prayer happens in our spirits, in our hearts in our quiet places, but prayer is powerful. Listen to how James describes Elijah in James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. It says this, Elijah was a human being just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. That first sentence, I think, might be the most intimidating sentence in the entire Bible. Elijah was a man just like us. Remember, this is Elijah. This is the guy who just raised that little boy from the dead, gave the mom a never-ending supply of food, called down fire from heaven, and defeated 400 bad guys. Has anybody done that? Uh, but Elijah was a man just like us, because we are on God's team too. We're playing with the big boys here. Um, but this passage, it doesn't highlight Elijah's flashy miracles. It highlights Elijah's earnest prayers. He prayed for drought, and there was drought. He prayed for rain, and there was rain. That is authority. That is power, and that is the main idea of Elijah's story. But to get some more details, let's go back to the Old Testament, read about this drought, because that's our overarching background story. 
okay? And as we read, we're going to see three keys that we need to play on God's team. Three keys to partnering with God through prayer. Let's start in 1 Kings 17, verse 1, right at the beginning. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, who is the king of Israel at this time, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So what do we know about this drought? From James, we know that Elijah prayed for this drought. And we see in this verse that Elijah has authority over this drought. But why? According to the text, Elijah's authority came from being a servant of God. God was his authority. God was directing Elijah's declarations. And there's something really practical here that I want to make sure we notice. Being on God's team starts with God's prompting. Elijah didn't wake up one day and feel like praying for a drought. He didn't play it by ear and say, hmm, today it feels too humid, but maybe tomorrow we'll see how it goes. Uh, This was a man who served God, who in humility owned that role of being a servant, but in confidence knew the power of the one that he served. And as a faithful servant, he waited for his master's prompting. Prompting is always the first key to partnering with God. We let God call the shots. That's what we do when we surrender our lives to him. We don't call our own shots anymore. And in order to let God call the shots, we have to be close enough to hear his voice. So prompting starts with relationship. If we're not walking with him, if we're not seeking him, we're not going to hear a lot from him. We're not going to be ready for him when he wants to pass us the ball. Prompting starts with relationship. We need to get close and stay close so we are ready to hear his prompting. Now, the rest of 1 Kings 17 is some more of Elijah's adventures. So we're going to skip down now to the next chapter. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. It says this, After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. Again, we see God's prompting. God is the one calling the plays. He speaks to Elijah, who's close enough to hear, and he says, I'm ready to make my move. So the first key to partnering with God through prayer is prompting. But the second key we see here is that being on God's team requires obedience. It wasn't just prayer that God asked for. He had an action for Elijah to carry out. And this action was not an easy one. See, Ahab was the king of Israel at this time, but he was the worst king. 1 Kings 16.30 says, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. 
He was a terrible king. And he was married to Jezebel, who was a terrible lady who was killing all of the Lord's prophets. And this is the command that God gives Elijah. Uh, Okay, Elijah, no big deal. I'm ready to end the drought. But would you just go and face your two worst nightmares really quick? Has God ever asked you to do hard things? Rather, let me ask it this way instead. Is there one thing that you've told God you will never do? God, I will do anything you want except work in kids' church because that's just not for me. God, these are all things I've said. God, I will do anything you want. Just please don't make me talk to that person. God, I surrender my life to you, but tithing 10%, oh, that's too much right now. I just can't. God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Just please don't make me be a missionary on the other side of the world. It happens. God asks us to do hard things sometimes. Sometimes obedience requires courage, especially if you don't know what's going to happen next. But if you know what you have to do, this is my trick. You don't have to be brave for very long. Sometimes it just means being brave for one day or one hour or one minute, and you can do that. Then God will give you the strength you need to be brave for the next day, or the next hour, or the next minute. Obedience requires courage. But that courage, it comes from relationship. When you know that it was God who prompted you, you know he's going to have your back. You've seen him take care of you before. You've experienced his spirit, his love. So when he passes you the ball, you are ready to take your shot. Elijah was close to God and full of courage, so he faced his fears. He presented himself to Ahab like God commanded him, and then we get back to the drought at the end of chapter 18 in verses 41 to 46. It says this, Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. And the seventh time the servant reported, A cloud, as small as a man's hand, is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Remember, it hasn't rained for three years. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Sorry, that last verse was not about the drought at all. I just think it's cool that God turns Elijah into the flash really quick, and he ran faster than this car all the way to Jezreel. (laughs) 
Um, God is really cool, guys. Um, back to the drought. In this passage, we see Elijah in his place of prayer. And it's interesting to me that he hears the sound of the rain before it starts. But what really struck me was this position he took for prayer. It says he bent down to the ground, put his face between his knees. Most commentaries say that this was a birthing position. And I think that's hugely significant for the way that we approach prayer. So just like God used Mary to birth Jesus into the world, God uses our prayers to birth his will into the world. And like the birthing process, it can be slow, it can be painful. But moms persist because they know there is new life on the other side. And that's true for us too in prayer. Our third key to partnering with God is that being on God's team requires persistence. Elijah listened to God's prompting. And when it was time to obey, he obeyed. But when it was time to pray, he prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Spiritual persistence is not easy. It's not natural. I'd much rather just pass the ball to God in prayer and take my seat on the bench, right? But there's a trap here that's easy to fall into. If we aren't careful, we can use trusting God as an excuse to be passive or lazy. And this is where I've often gotten stuck in my prayer life. I would pray for something once, feel like, okay, my job is done, and just take my seat on the bench, right? I'd check the box. I put the ball in the hands of the strongest player. And I don't know, maybe you've been there with me. Nothing's changed in our situation, but we prayed about it for 10 seconds yesterday, so now we're just trusting God. Our parents are still sick. Our coworkers still don't know Jesus, but it's in the Lord's hands. We're trusting God. This is tricky. We can't get it twisted. Here is the thing. Trusting God is 100% necessary. And there is absolutely a time to be still and wait in faith. But our trust cannot be passive or lazy. If God gives us a purpose, which we know that he did, and God gives us a part to play, which he definitely does, then trusting God means playing that part. It's not a passive thing at all. It's active and it's persistent. But how do we know if it's time to be still or time to persist? It all comes back to the same thing, relationship. Are we listening to God's prompting? Are we walking in obedience to him? When we know what we need to do, we need to do it until it's done. Elijah knelt down in that birthing stance, and he didn't stop until he saw that cloud seven times. He prayed, and he asked his servant, is it finished? 
He prayed again and asked his servant, is it finished now? He didn't question, maybe I didn't hear God right. Maybe it's not God's will. Maybe I prayed once, so this is enough. I'll just leave it in God's hands. Now it's God's turn to move, right? This is not a take turns thing. We are teammates. We are partners. We work together. If God's not done, we're not done. I don't know what's on your heart this morning, what you've been praying for, or what you've stopped praying for. But please don't stop. Please don't give up. There is new life on the other side of what you're praying for. Get in that birthing stance if you have to. Bring God's will into the world. He wants to transform us. He wants to transform our friends and our families. He wants to transform our city, our nation, our entire generation. He wants to partner with us and work through our prayers. He is looking, looking for prayer warriors. He's looking for teammates, and he is committed to our team. But my question for us this morning is, are we? Are we?